0: Welcome and thanks for joining us for this week's encouraging and faith-building message from C3 Topol. For more information about C3 Topol, visit our website, c3churhtaupo.org.nz. Now for this week's message. I just want to say, this is the graveyard shift. Speaking the night after the flippin' All Blacks Lose, right? <laughs> <sighs> So angry I was. So I was so nervous watching it that I had to change channel at multiple points in the hope that when I changed back, it was good, the score was going to change. And I changed back. they Oh, they got another point! Like my heart was beating out of my chest. Eh? I just, you know, I just. I almost took to drinking. I got to be honest. It was a dark night. Um, it was. It was actually. Yeah. Anyway, that's another story altogether. Uh, NT Wright. I'm going to talk about this. Waheingaro. Say that, wāhi ngaro. Wāhi ngaro ngaro is about the hidden place, the secret places. It's the realm, in Māori, it's the realm of um, spirituality, it's the realm of life and death, it's the realm of God, gods, depending on what you believe, right? I believe in God, just to clarify that. N.T. Wright says this, what you are in private is what you really are, which is just so annoying, because I'm really good in public. I can be lovely. I've got woo strength finder, so I can like woo people over and be like, "Yeah, awesome connection." And, and um, but then I've got my private reality, and that's disappointing. Um, because right, sometimes our private reality sucks a little bit, right? And we're a lot more comfortable with what we can present to everyone. We like to think, "Oh, this is me. I'm awesome. Take it or leave it." Uh, I want to tell a a couple of stories, and then I'm going to drop some scripture, and we're going to go somewhere real quick. Oh, I've only got a few minutes. All right. I grew up loving God. I grew up in church... uh, about a thousand people church, really significant place. During the uh, renewal that happened in uh, New Zealand sort of in the 80s, 90s uh, from the Toronto blessing, our church became a real hub. People were driving all over New Zealand. I think we had about 10,000 people through in a month and um, you know just really significant weird ass things happening and people laughing when they just shouldn't and you know all sorts of things and my, my grandfather was actually like a real strong Baptist, you know. Loved the Lord, but he just didn't care for any of the signs or wonders that came with it. And uh, my dad went to Toronto and came back for three months going like this. <clears throat> Which was really uncomfortable for my family. Um, luckily, I was like four, and I thought my dad was awesome, so I was too young to be embarrassed. But... Um, <laughs> But my love for God grew and grew and grew. However, at about 15 16, I became really enamored with uh, sort of celebrity Christianity. i enamored with the stage, if that makes sense. And um, I was part of a youth group that I really despised, um, if I'm being honest. It was filled with the kids that got bullied at school, and I didn't want to be associated with them. I was really judgmental. And, you know, as 15, 16-year-olds are, you you don't care so much for character and integrity at that point. You just want what's cool, and that's it. And so I was at this youth group, and I did what every good Christian, materialistic, consumeristic kid did, and I changed youth group. And so I went to another youth group. It was a big, you know, about 200 kids, and um, I really loved it. It was this great connection and all these things. And I can honestly say I always loved God. And, uh, but what began to happen as I went there, because I knew I was capable and talented, I could quickly find my way to a stage, right? And so I found myself in worship teams and in doing other things, and I could be like, yeah, i play the part and live a terrible life outside of it. Uh, And I ended up in a relationship when I was about 17. Uh, It was really, really, uh, really unhealthy uh, with another person in that youth ministry. They were a leader. There's a whole lot of manipulation that was in there, which I probably wasn't really aware of. But when you're young and someone says they like you, you just go, awesome. (laughs) You don't really think about whether you like them back. You're just like, someone likes me, greatest day of my life, Awesome. And uh, I started to realize that uh, I craved to be seen as authentic more than I actually craved to be authentic. I craved to be seen to have an authentic relationship with God more than I actually cared if I actually had an authentic relationship with God. Which was part of my maturity at that point. I turn 18. I travel. I end up going to Africa, the year of my salvation. And I traveled on the plane And I said goodbye to this girl that I really, really liked at that point. And, you know, crying, what a wuss when I think about it. And um, crying on the plane, and I take my first step in Africa, and I knew it was over, and I went, oh, I'm free. And I emailed her, because we have no phones there. We were in, like, um, so Burundi at that point is just, yeah, it's rough as guts anyway. And so I emailed her, which was great, because I didn't have to face any, you know, like, response, <laughs> which is what we do now, eh? it's, it's over, I text you, you know, it's over, no accountability, Woohoo! Um, and I felt free from that moment, on the first night I was in Africa, God spoke to me, and he gave me the most profound picture of a banana, and, um, and it was profound, because I'm profound, and uh, it was about my level, probably, that's where it was at, and God, it went deeper, the, the banana got peeled, and um, God spoke to me and he said, Aaron, this year, I'm going to strip back all the layers. I'm going to expose your character and lack of, and I'm going to teach you about who you are and who I am. And for a year, I spent hours every day praying, reading, writing. I probably wrote maybe 150 songs that year. Um, I learned massive amounts of scripture, not because I was really great, but because there was often not a lot else to do. And um, we didn't have power, so I would spend all day with the orphans, and then I will go back to my place at about 6 o'clock and then go, Apart from, you know, getting the candle and burning the big trails of giant cockroaches and massive ants, which was a great entertainment, but, you know, that, you know eventually they were all gone. But I began to wrestle with my love for God. And God began to do a really significant thing. It was the year of heaven touching Aaron's earth. And I was, I would say, I've been changed forever because of that experience. I learned that God was more than a performance, which I always knew. But sometimes you need to know things beyond here and to be here. Because the show can be the greatest killer of our faith. It can be the hider of what God is wanting to unveil. And I'm not, I'm not saying that to be mature is to be an open book where you're just like, guess what? I did this this weekend and you tell everyone. That's not necessarily it either. But God wants to keep us enamored with who he is. not Because you know what? If you become enamored with this, the Sunday morning, which is great. As soon as you start to become less enamored with it, which happens, right, your relationship is with the service and not with the Lord. If your relationship was, is with the Lord, then you see this as part, an integral part of your life, but not your salvation. Amen? So I arrived back from the plane, I was like 74 kgs, if you can imagine that, I'm like probably 76 now. Um... <laughs> And it wasn't that I'd become anything special, but my good friend, Cindy Duakere, she picked me up and she said, you have become a man. And um, it was because of what God had done inside of me. And you know, I feel challenged even now as I think about that period of time. How can I take back these spaces that have become so cluttered and loud and confusing? When I find time to read scripture, I have four million ideas going through my head, which is part of my personality type anyway part of my gift type as well, I'm like, shut up, Lord, I'm trying to connect with you, and um, you know, sometimes it's not the Lord, but even church leaders are as susceptible as anyone to be functioning without faith, do you know that, even church leaders can fill up their schedule with doing everything that they can to avoid facing the struggle of their soul, do you know how I know this? Because I do it all the time. I know how to fill up my world to avoid walking into the sense of disorientation that I feel in my walk with God. Which means that we all face it, right? We all face the music at some point. Now we're going to read Matthew 6, 5. As you find it, let me read it. Ah, ka inoi koe, kawa e mete hunga tini hunga kotara te huki e pai kotino inoi tu iroto inga farikarakia karaki inga onga ara kia ai eti tangata he pono e mea ano teu morato. Nā, ka inoi koe atu ki ruma i ah ā, no kākāti tō tatau, an inoi kito matsua matua i te wāhingaro, ā, ko matua e matua e kite nei i te wāhingaro mana koe yutsu. E ka Nā, ka inoi koto aua e whakahuatia noatia, ko aua kupua nō, no. kei pera me ngā tau iwi, hoki, mā ngā kupu maha e rangona Nā, ke rite kotoi. Um, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the streets truly to be seen, street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go to your room, close the door, and pray to the Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Okay. N.T. Wright says this, what is clear is that he's inviting followers to a life in which inside and outside match perfectly because both are focused on the God who sees in secret. Now the whole Sermon on the Mount is about the bubbling up. It's about what's going on inside. Jesus was addressing so much of the time religious leaders that had become comfortable in following the law, but their hearts were dead. And so Jesus is coming and saying, actually, it's not about the adultery that you commit. it's not about this final product. It's about the slow burn that leads you to that place. And that's what I want to speak to. There was a, 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 a few years ago, a, a young kid, um, Mongol mob prospect in Tūranga, he raped a little kid who was a, 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 a tourist family, you know, horrendous story. And uh, apparently he's going to be released soon. And, you know, interesting that all the posts on Facebook were like, burn him alive, hang him. And um, interesting that we want punishment desperately, right? But no one ever asks, how did he end up there? How did he end up where he thought that that was a possibility? And some people are like, it doesn't matter. They've just got to choose. Shut up. Because if we were faced with the same scenario, the same upbringing, the same this and that, we don't know what we would be like and who we would become. And as the church, far out, I sometimes think we desire punishment for ourselves and for one another's more than we desire grace to understand the bubbling. We don't want to address this. We just want to punish the end result. You should not have done that as opposed to how did you get there? What's going on inside of you? When a toddler starts screaming, You don't go, that is not what we do. You go, are they tired? Are they hungry? Are they sad? What's going on inside of them? And then we get to adulthood and we think, no, we don't do that anymore. We just punish the outcome. Now, this is what I want to talk about. In your life, you have your private self. This is your private life over here, okay? This is who you are. Sometimes your private self is great. It's awesome. Sometimes your private self gets really angry and eats a bucket of ice cream and tells your neighbor to get stuffed and whatever else it does I had a really bad week about a month ago and I was talking to like someone on on the phone and um, they were part of a organization a company that I was being engaged with and oh, I they had the worst probably the worst week of my life actually and they were on the phone and they were starting to annoy me they weren't doing anything wrong but I was annoyed at them and so I sort of let them have it not drastically but not good enough either so I sent her this email afterwards, and I said, look, I'm really sorry. It was a bad day. That's not an excuse, but that's not really who I am, and I'm really sorry because you must face this all the time. And she was like, email me back and said, no one has ever done this before. This is awesome. And um, I still felt stink about it. My private self is sometimes great, sometimes not. My public self, well, I can have a little bit more control over this because people are watching, right? And I want people to think I'm awesome. I want people to think I've got a great relationship with God, which is sometimes a curse, So my public self and my private self are sometimes worlds apart. Now, we say this in Christianity often. We say we don't believe, we don't want to be hypocrites, right? Now, some people say that hypocrisy is when your private life is worlds apart from your public life. But I say that's what maturity is. Maturity is the journey from your private life to your public. It's the journey from the self that you hide to the self that you disclose, and learning to be at peace. Now hypocrisy is when you have no desire for your private life to be meeting your public life. That's what hypocrisy is. But everything else in the, in the middle, that's the journey of maturity, of forgiving yourself, of going, it's okay. Man, I fell short. I would, I'm, my wife can tell you, my whole life is lived on a stage. And sometimes I come back and my wife would rather I lived, I brought that stage person back home. But sometimes I bring a grumpy, arrogant, bit of a weasel home. And I'm annoying and ho-ha and I'm snappy and I'm tired and I say things I regret. But that's my journey too. Of learning to let my private self be aligned and let God speak into that space. God is after the heart, right? Now, in Jewish society, three things were of vital importance. I know I'm going a little bit over time, but this is really important to get. They had standard obligations, giving money, praying, and fasting. And people did them. And what this scripture, what they're saying is that the rabbis would miraculously find themselves in the biggest public settings when it was time to pray. Oh, man, what a, geez, how did I end up here amongst everyone Well, here I am? Lord, I love you. And they were basically advertising their religious devotion, going, Lord, I'm here. I want everyone to know. But Jesus is looking at the heart going, you don't love me at all. You don't care at all. And so as Jesus does, he does the extreme. Go into a room, in a room with no windows, and pray. Jesus is about extremes to paint a picture. He's not saying that we need to find rooms without windows, because breathing's good. It's the illustration, right? The point. We need to build our relationship with God so that we don't become overwhelmed when our performed self, our public self, runs out of steam. And all we've got left is an empty private self that's got nothing to hold on to. But what about when it's good things like praying and giving to the needy or whatever else? It's still your heart. In fact, Jesus says that even, even good works, even giving to the poor can be done without love, which is annoying. We've become enamored with the gifts of the Spirit and blinded to the fruit. So we love the gifts that people bring. You, you might love the gift that I bring, but you don't know me. You don't know if I live this out authentically and truly. Now, I, I think that I do. I've got lots of things that I need to work on, right? But don't be enamored by someone like me that can give a prophetic word or say something that encourages you. Don't be enamored by that. Be enamored by the dude that's loved his wife for like 60 years and is still loving his wife because he's got peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control because people like me come and go all the time because of character issues and flaws because we've lived on the stage and we've forsaken the private. Don't be enamored with the stage. The stage will deceive you. Chase after the fruit. Find the person that's just still loving God, that's still got this prayer rhythm, 30 years later, still wakes up together, has the cup of tea and says, good morning, Lord, instead of, oh, Lord, it's morning. (laughs) Find that person. We need to learn to understand what we're looking for. See, the gift will always be there. There's a, a prophet that I know, he's in deep sin deep, deep sin. His world has fallen apart. His marriage has fallen apart. The dude rings up and he still gives the most accurate prophetic words that I've ever heard in my life, mixed with like F words and everything else. Because the gift is part of the design. The gift doesn't depart with good or evil. The gift remains, but the fruit, they don't remain with evil. They remain with good and good life in the spirit. We think that God is like a landlord who's coming for the inspection looking for every mark, every stain, every imperfection, who's looking in our private life and going, look at you, you hypocrite. That's filthy. Look at this. This is disgusting. But God is the good, good Father who comes and looking and says, look how awesome you are. Look what I see in there. How good this is. Amazing you did that. Oh, I saw your heart when you did that. It was more than just an act. You really meant that. God is looking to extract all that is good, all that is right, out of us. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Have a blessed week.